John chapter 12, reading verses 1 to 11 to provide the context for the message this morning. We started last week on this passage of Scripture, and um, we're talking about a life that keeps on speaking, and the context of the topic is that of Lazarus, who died, and in the company of his sisters, um, who were very, very close to Jesus, we see that they called for Jesus to come and to help. Jesus was very close to this family. Um, he oftentimes ate with them. He oftentimes just went there to recline um, on their chair, put up his feet, kick off his sandals. And they were the type of people who were so hospitable. They had the gift of hospitality. And Jesus just loved them. And um, when we read the story, we see that Lazarus was sick, and it was a sickness that led to death. And obviously, Jesus knew about it. And so we see that Lazarus dies. And Martha and Mary sends a message to him. And they are distressed. Um, he wasn't very old in age. It was a young death. And... The comment is made by Martha. Martha said, if you had been here. Have you ever said that to God or to someone? If you just had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And so that's the disappointment that is within their hearts. And I'm sure that for some of us, we've gone through circumstances and events within our lives that's left us disappointed. Maybe relationally with each other, or even with God. And what you realize here when you look at the story as it unfolds between Mary and Martha with Jesus, that they wore their feelings on their sleeve as they spoke to Jesus. There was a little bit of disappointment within their words, even maybe a sense of, 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 of frustration. And we see how Jesus deals with them. And the Bible says here that he loved them in this passage of Scripture. And it's very interesting. When you look at the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, that there are different words used for the word love. And I looked that word up just to see what type of love Jesus had in this context for Martha and Mary and also for his close friend, Lazarus. And so there are three Greek words. The one is agape, which is the God type of love. It's the type of love that he showed towards us when he died upon the cross. He died for us unconditionally. It's an unconditional love which is inspired by God's nature. And when we have that type of love within our hearts... We love each other unconditionally. So there's, that's one word, which is a God type of love. It is called a God love. But then there is another word that is used um, in the Greek, and, 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 and it's the word phileo. And, and the word phileo is a very interesting word. It's, it's a love between friends. It's a friendship type of love. And we see that this is the word 
that is used within this passage. Isn't it interesting? So he comes and he says, you know, you know, the one you loved, it is, it is phileo. It's this brotherly, it's this friendship love. It's, it's, it's on this level love. It's, it's the emotional love. It's feelings. It's, it's touching each other. And, and, and so they were saying, the one you loved died. Jesus, and then of course uh, it speaks about this type of love as well, and and we see that Jesus, who was the Son of God but also the Son of Man, was deeply moved by Lazarus's death, but also by Mary and Martha's reaction. Friends, it is okay to bring your disappointments to God. It's okay to express them. He loves us absolutely unconditionally with the agape love of God. It's a decision that he made to love us. It's the type of love that a husband and a wife have for each other. It's unconditional in nature. When the one is down, the other one lifts them up. And when the other one is down, then the other party lifts them up. But as Solomon says, you know, um, within the marriage relationship, there is a threefold cord that cannot easily be broken. And it is the agape love between a husband and a wife, which is that covenantal love. And in the midst of it, there is that friendship love, the relational love, the feelings love. And of course, there is also the Greek word for, for the sexual love, the intimacy that we express here um, that you find in the scripture. You know, and, and so there's many words for love. But here, he loves them with such feeling. And this is the context of this passage. And, and unless you understand that, you just read it and not understand it. But I'd like us just to read this passage. And as an introduction, we see that Lazarus dies. Jesus only comes two days later. My goodness, Jesus, are you late? <laughs> Couldn't you have come on the first day or even before he died? Jesus waits two days. How many of you are in the place where you feel that Jesus is a little bit slow and he's late? Come on. Just put up a hand. Okay, there's one honest one here who's willing to put up their hands. <laughs> oh, I think that God is oftentimes late within my life. But of course, he's never late. <laughs> but sometimes I say, God, just if you, couldn't you have come before? Now you're coming in the very center, in the midst of Lazarus being dead. And so there's just all kinds of things going on in this passage. And so I would just like us to read uh, chapter 12, um, verses 1 to 12 here. And this is what the scripture says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And so we see here he had already raised him from the dead. We see the death in John chapter 11. Martha served, typical of Martha, as we read this, she served, 
while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Resurrected Lazarus. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? He sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He brings perspective. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. That's where our title comes from, a life that keeps on speaking. Through the resurrection of Lazarus, this man's life kept on speaking about the greatness and the wonder of Jesus. That's our challenge, that our lives ongoingly speaks about the greatness and the wonder of this God who loves each and every one of us and this God who poured out his life for the whole world when the book of John says that for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his only son and that whosoever should believe in him, anyone, from any nation would believe in him. Anyone who believes in him should not perish, should not die, but should have eternal life. And I've just looked at Maria here sitting, and it reminded me of the day when Maria gave her life to Jesus in this church. Do you remember that day, Maria? Remembered it clearly. And... Um, uh, that was how many years ago now? I can't remember. Maybe four or five years ago. And God magnificently transformed her life. And um, she's been a part of what God is doing here for years. You know, and, and, and it is this God that we want to keep on speaking about who does that in the lives of people time and time and time again. Is he not worthy to be spoken about? That's God. And so we see that Lazarus's life just kept on speaking. Inadvertently, they heard about this man who was resurrected from the dead. And so he attracted attention. But his attention was diverted to Jesus. And people started believing in Jesus on account of what happened to Lazarus. Our lives ought to bear the imprint of our God and 
Last week, we looked at the first point. A life that keeps on speaking is a life that's been supernaturally touched by God. And that life keeps on speaking about His wonders, about His grace, and about the way that He loves us. And this morning, I want us to focus on a life that keeps on speaking. Secondly, is a life that walks in the resurrection power of Jesus. And I call the resurrection power of Jesus His amazing grace. Isn't that beautiful? My friends, the life that sustains us and keeps us is the amazing grace of God. When Newton wrote the most beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. It, 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 it overcame all of those who heard that song, and the gospel mightily was preached through that song. My friends, a life that walks, and a life that keeps on speaking is a life that walks in the resurrection power that comes from Jesus. And we see in John chapter 11, verses 21 to 27, um, we see that he speaks about this resurrection life. And this is what the scripture says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So we see that Martha had a good theology. She understood that there was going to be a resurrection at the end of the age. But Jesus wasn't meaning here the end of the age. He said, your brother is going to rise very soon again. But she missed it, just like you and I miss it. The promises of God, oftentimes, yes, in its original form, it is for later. But for every later promise, there's an application for today. And people who walk in faith, oftentimes, mine out that promise. And they believe it, that it could happen today. And Jesus was trying to get Martha, who was very theological in nature, to say, you are not only at the end of the day, let your theology be exercising faith today because your brother's going to rise today. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, and this is an incredible statement that he makes, he says, I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son who is to come into the world. This is one of the most important statements that's made in Scripture. And it seems like in the book of John, 
There are a number of these very important statements that is made. We call them doctrinal statements. And the statement is, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, you can go back and you can read in John. And there are other statements in uh, John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Very important. Did you notice some similarities in that verse? Jesus makes him known as what? As I am. Don't miss that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father through me. And then we see in the book of Exodus that God tells Moses to go and to be the deliverer leader of his people. And Moses says, God, who do I tell them you are? And God says, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. And God says, that will be my name for all eternity. I am that I am has sent you. My friends, it is an incredibly powerful statement. Really, the words here where it says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am should be written in bold letters because that's the name of God. My friends, every provision and every blessing that comes to us comes from him who is the I am God. The I am God is not only the God of the past, not only the God of the future, but he is the God of the present. He is the I am God. He's here right now. So why don't you believe God for what you need today? Because he's here. Everything that we receive, we find in him. He is the I am God. You would say, Peter, but this is incredibly doctrinal. Yes, but my friends, our faith needs to be based on this type of truth. Because you and I will go through many trials, many tribulations, and we need to know this God. The song that Yaku and the team led us into, I want to know you more. Who do we know? It is this I am God. Our faith is based upon that truth. If you get that, your faith will be strong, even when your knees are buckling you would say, my faith is in the I am God, the God of the presence. My friends, he is right here today. Right here today. We had several people last week to surrender their lives to Jesus. Why? Because God was right there last Sunday. He's right here today. We're in the presence of an incredible God. No wonder there is such excitement within our hearts about this God that we serve. Because the I am God, the God who is here now, is also the God who is present with us. If you into tennis at all, you know a past player whose name is Andy Roddick. 
and you'll know about another player whose name was Steffi Graft. Anybody remember these names? Thank goodness. <laughs> and Andy Roddick says, when he's in Steffi Graft's presence, he says, I feel everything I say is idiotic in nature. Because she's such a large figure. He's got such respect for her. So he says, when I'm there and I speak to Steffi and I want to say, have you ever been in the presence of someone and you want to say something but you're so overawed by them and the words that come out of your mouth is idiotic in nature? And he says, this is the way I feel in Steffi Graf's presence. My friends, this is sometimes the way we feel when we're in the presence of the I am God. We feel that our words are so insufficient. We feel that our words are empty. Have you even tried to pray in the presence of such a God and you say, oh, my requests are so small. Will he hear me? You feel like an idiot saying the things that you do. My friends, in the presence of this God, Jesus Christ, no words that you say to him is idiotic in nature. He comes and he just settles in the midst of us. He hears us. He listens to us. And he steps into our world. He never wants us to feel idiotic when he's around. Why? Because through his son Jesus, he bridged the gap between sinful mankind and the holy God. And the gospel is that Jesus stepped in between. He died for our sins and the I am God is our God. And it's actually very, very personal. And this is the sense that we get. My friends, when we walk in the resurrection power of Jesus, our lives will keep on speaking about this God. You don't have to force a testimony out of your own life to impress people. All you need to do is to speak about him. And my friends, the I am God will come and he will show himself to people in such a wonderful, wonderful way. A life that keeps on speaking is a life that walks in the resurrection power of Jesus. No wonder Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from He's dead. The translation I'm more familiar with uh, reads this way. Uh, Paul saying, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. Isn't it wonderful that when you, when Paul speaks or John speaks or the New Testament writers speak about the resurrection, he speaks in the same sentence about the crucifixion. These events are not separated. 
they together. And my friends, if we live in the resurrection life of Jesus, we'll also step into times of suffering within our lives through which God will reveal his glory. And we see here that um, it's very interesting. In the Amplified Bible, it says it this way. And this so that I may know him, in brackets, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him in his person and in the power of his resurrection, which overflows in active life in the believer, that we may share the fellowship of his suffering by constantly being conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, and even dying as he did. My friends, the resurrection life always asks us to lay down our lives. And that's why the song again, which was so applicable this morning, I surrender. My friends, a life that keeps on speaking is a life that walks in the resurrection power of Jesus. And that life surrenders itself before God. That life says, Lord, I give myself to you fully. While we were singing that song in the first line, I felt a little bit of a hypocrite when it said that we need to bow our knees. You know, and I was waiting for Yaku to actually bow his knee while he was playing guitar. I said, if Yaku can do it, I can, and he never did. There is that real sense that when we walk in this resurrection life, there's a humility that comes within our lives. Not an arrogance, but a humility where we bow the knee before him and he fills us with his life. If you want to find what the real sign is of a person who's walking in the resurrection power of Jesus, you look at a life of humility. Because you cannot live in the presence of the I am God and not be overwhelmed by him. That they wouldn't be all within your life through him. This is the God that we serve. My friends, in the single statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Christ unveils the core message of Christianity, which is hope, redemption, and eternal life. And so when we hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life to Martha, he is saying to her, in me there is hope. In me there is redemption. And in me there is eternal life. In me and in me alone. Now, in our midst here, and also in our lives, uh, we've had a number of deaths. I know Philippe's grandfather passed away, and they had his funeral on Friday, yesterday. You know, Jenny's uncle passed away last week, and they had his funeral on Friday. And a number of you have experienced some kind of a death that is near to you. And my friends, death is a part of our experience. 
when you understand this truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, my friends, death by its very nature is sudden, isn't it? Even though someone may have a long illness, when death strikes, my friends, doesn't matter who you are, we never prepared for it. Death is sudden. I remember when my dad died about four years ago. He was in the hospital. We knew he was going to die. The doctors told us. But when he died, I just was not ready for it because death was so sudden. You are never ready for that death when it takes place. Surprises you. You lost your husband not too long ago, Catherine. Death strikes. Death happens. And it's so certain. My friends, death is certain. It's a certainty. Because the Bible says, it is appointed unto man to die once. Death is going to come to all of us. Doesn't matter whether we are healthy or not. Lazarus was relatively a young man. Death came to him like this. Death is certain. Death is sudden. But my friends, death is not final. Because the Bible says, just as it is destined for people to die once, and after that to face the judgment, judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time to bear sin. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. My friends, if you believe that death is final, that there's nothing else. I've heard some philosophers speak and they said, well, I just don't believe in death. You know, I believe in death, but there's nothing after death. My friends, <laughs> death is not final. For the Christian, it's not final, and for the non-believing person, it is not final. Both will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, and we will give an account for our lives. The believer will not stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged whether he goes to heaven or well. hell. No, we are judged for the works that we've done here. The soul would be saved, but the quality of our works will be measured. So the Christian goes to heaven. But even when we rise again, when we receive a new body, the Christian will live forever and forever and forever in the presence of God. However, death is also not final for the non-believing person because they will be judged for the decisions they made on this earth whether they received Christ or not. If they hadn't received Christ, my friend, the saddest story is that they will be banished to hell forever and forever and forever. And my friends, it is out of this context that Jesus speaks and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe it, you really will never die. you'll find within this account that Jesus weeps several times. Shortest verse is found here, which is called Jesus wept. And I think he wept for a number of things, reasons. I think firstly he wept just because he loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and Martha. And what they were going through was tough for him. I think secondly, 
Jesus understood what death was going to be like because just a few days later, he was going to die on the cross. And he would be resurrected from the dead. But he understood what death meant. Death is the final enemy that needs to be overcome. The final enemy. And he was going to need to overcome the enemy just a few days later. Yes, there were temporal resurrections when Lazarus was raised from the dead. A temporal one. But he's talking about the final resurrection. It was based on what was going to happen the next few days. I think Jesus wept because he felt the enormous weight of carrying our sin and our death upon himself so that we can be forgiven and so that we can live. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. My friends, my mother's health is not well at the moment. Jenny's mother's health is not well at the moment, and that's where Jenny's been for the last three weeks. And I sent Jenny a message, I think it was last week, because just the last two weeks, my mother's health um, has just deteriorated, and also Jenny's. And they were very good friends when they were in South Africa and when we lived there. And both of them are wonderful believers, passionate women who love God and who love their families and who spent hours on their knees for us. And I'm so deeply grateful for them. And I said to Jenny, I sent her a message. I said, I think my mom and your mom are in a race at the moment to see who's going to see Jesus first. <laughs> Why can I talk that way? Firstly, because I believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Secondly, because those two women had decided at a young age, my mom at the age of nine, Jenny's mom, I think, at the age of 20, 21, 22, to surrender their lives to Jesus and to believe in him. And eternity came into their hearts. And my friends, death cannot take that away. Death may sting for a moment, but it doesn't sting eternally. Aren't you thankful for that? That's the hope, and that's the faith that we have, and I'm closing with this scripture, which is just so beautiful. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 57. Would you stand as I read the scripture, please? First Corinthians 15, verse 51 says this. Listen. <laughs> well, Paul wants to get our attention here. Have you ever said to your children, listen now? Only South Africans do that, I think, to our children. But here Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the death will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable had been clothed with the imperishable, 
and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.